Father, we thank you again for the privilege of coming together to worship, to look into your word, to sing together, to lift each other up, just to love on each other and encourage each other. And Father, I do pray for those in our congregation that are hurting, whatever that situation may be, um, physically or emotionally, spiritually. Lord, I pray that you'd reach out and touch them. I pray your blessings on them. Now I pray that as we look into your word that you would open it up for us, that you would challenge us, and that, Father, our lives may change because of it. We give you this day, and we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, why don't we all be seated. While everybody's being seated, let me remind you that John and Jan are retiring and stepping down from things. So we're having a little, just a reception for them after, right after the service, right back here in the back of the auditorium. And I want to encourage all of you to stay. Just eat a piece of cake, love on them, and thank them for their faithful service, and um, just wish them the best. You know, several years ago, uh, my wife called me. She was out at uh, Lake Athens showing some property, and she said, David, I ran out of gas. And so I go out there with a, a, ta- uh, a container of gas, and, you know, I'm getting mad at her. I'm, I'm fussing at her. I'm thinking, why aren't you watching? You've got a big orange light that blinks on your control there that tells you you're low on gas. I said, why aren't you watching? You know, I was mad basically because I was afraid for her. I uh, didn't want her out there by herself on the side of the road and running out of gas, so I, I was just worried, you know, concerned. Well, a few days later, after I took the tank out there and filled up her gas, and then she goes to the station and finishes filling up that tank, a few days later, she comes to me and she says, I realize why I ran out of gas. I said, well, what was it? She said, two days before that, you were in my car and you adjusted my steering wheel. Well, the steering wheel covered up the little blinking light. <laughs> she couldn't see it. So her running out of gas was my fault, which is typical, right, guys? But you know how that goes. But sure enough, that was the problem. She couldn't see it and wasn't aware of it, and uh, so she ran out of gas, and I had to go fill her tank up. Now, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, except that, <laughs> except that I wanted to kind of segue into this. Um, whenever it comes to the Christian life, and uh, the issue of faith, uh, we, we look at things that God has asked us to do and, and, and told us to do, and, and we usually, a lot of times, use this um, excuse that, Lord, I just don't have enough faith. And I think a lot of people look at the Christian life like this, that I've got to come to church or read my Bible in order for my faith tank to be filled up. In other words, I want more faith so that I can do what you've told me to do. And so the question is, is that really true and accurate? Is that what the Christian life is like? Do we run out of faith like we run out of gas? And then do we have to go somewhere and get it filled up in order to be obedient and do the things that God has called us to do? Because you'll be amazed at the number of people, and you're probably one of them, who have this perception in their minds that in order for me to be obedient and do like God wants me to do and be effective, then I've got to have more faith to do those things really difficult things and the reason why I'm not sometimes obedient is because I'm running on an empty tank. Well what I want to do is to take you to a passage of scripture. Now we've looked at this passage in relation to other things in the past. I can remember us going over this a while back and I think we may have been in the study in Ephesians. I'm not sure. 
But let me give you the context, because the context is that Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he's talking to them on the subject of forgiveness. And they're asking him questions, and he responds this way. He says, they, they were saying, but Lord, what if, I, what if my brother offends me? And, and how, may, how, how often do I have to forgive him? And, and the Lord gives him this response. He says, if your brother offends you and hurts you and sins against you seven times in a day, and let me quote this because this is the context of it. He says, you must forgive him. Now, we've talked about forgiveness before. We, it's letting go of the anger and the hurt and the resentment and so forth. Um, but the point is, he says, I don't care if it's seven times a day that he does this to you, then you are supposed to forgive and not harbor the bitterness and to let this go. Now, we've talked about consequences and all of that. We're not getting into that today. There's consequences for things like that and so forth, that he's saying that your response is what I'm talking about. Your response is to forgive. Now, what's interesting is this, and this is where we pick up this passage, is in Luke chapter 17 in verse 5. Because right after he says that, this is how the apostles or the disciples respond to him. And this is what I want you to see. The, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Lord, if you're telling me that I forgot, I've got to forgive somebody who sins against me in seven times a day, you're saying that I'm supposed to forgive that person, then Lord, I want you to understand something, that I'm going to need more faith in order to pull this off. In order for me to do this, this big thing that you're telling me to do, I don't think that I can, and if you want me to be obedient, then Lord, you're going to have to increase my faith. A lot like we do many, many times. God, if you want me to obey, and if you want me to be able to do this, because I'm going to tell you right now, I just can't. I don't foresee it happening, so you're going to have to increase my faith. Now, here's what I want to get to, is how the Lord responds to that excuse, okay? And here's, the, here's what he says in verse 6. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry bush, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, you read through that a lot of times like we often do, and you think to yourself, I don't see the connection. What is going on? Why, why would he respond with that? They're giving him an excuse. If I'm going to forgive like you're telling me to forgive, I've got to have more faith. He says, no, faith isn't your problem. Because he says, if you just had the faith of a mustard seed, you could do astronomical things. The mustard seed being at that time at least, and maybe still is, I don't know, the smallest seed known to man. If you just had that much faith, you could say to a, this mulberry tree, be uprooted and thrown into the sea, and it would obey you. In other words, faith is not your problem. You don't need more faith. Okay, then, what is the problem? Well, the problem is faithfulness. In other words, problem is I'm trying to make excuses and give myself an out, give myself a way of disobeying God or disregarding what he's told me to do. Now, this is important because we do this all the time. And herein lies the problem. Because we're saying to God, I need more faith in order to obey you. God says, no, you don't. You only need the faith of a mustard seed, and you've got that. What you need to be is faithful to what I've told you to do. And stop trying to get around it. Because this is what we do a lot. We try to get around it. Instead, he says, I want you to obey. 
what I tell you. I want you to stick with the person or the thing that um, you're willing to give up on so quickly. I want you to keep your word. I want you to do your job. I want you to obey me. Be faithful to what I've given you to do. And if I tell you to forgive somebody seven times in a day, then do it. I know how difficult it is. I know some things I ask you to do are impossible, but do it anyway. That's faithfulness. And most of our problems in this congregation and in my life and in most Christians' lives is not that we need to go somewhere to get tanked up on more faith. That's not the issue. Because he said you only need this much, you see. Your problem and my problem is that we just tend not to be faithful to the things that God has told us to do. Now, to make that even clearer and put an accent on it, if you will, he gives a little story right here in the next verse that sort of puts the icing on the cake, so to speak. But look with me in verses 7 through 10 because he goes right into this little story. He says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat? Would he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me because you did what, I'm sorry, wait on me while I eat and drink and after that you may eat and drink? Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything that you've been told, you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. You've got to put yourself in the place of the disciples here because they're giving excuses. I can't do it because I just don't have the faith to do that, meaning I don't want to. He says, yeah, you have the faith. The problem is you don't want to, and I'm telling you that you need to do it because that's what faithfulness is. And here's a story to pretty much explain what I'm saying, that if I am the master and you're the servant and you come in from the field or the ministry or out in the workplace or school and you come in and you say to me that I'm supposed to wait on you and do what you want, I'm telling you that's not the case. I'm telling you that because you're the servant, then you wait on me and you serve me and you do it for me. And then after that, you can eat. Because you need to understand something, and this is true of all of us, that we need to understand that we're there to serve, not be served, and that we need to be doing whatever it is that God has told us to do. And we don't get a vote. Man, we don't like that. Because, you see, we want to vote. We want to say. We want to have some input into what it is that we're to do. When the Spirit speaks or you read it in the Bible and you see very clearly that this is what God has said to do and you feel it within your heart because the Spirit of God is telling you what you need to be doing, then you need to do your duty. That's the teaching. That's hard because we don't like that. We don't like to be told what we have to do. We want to say, well, I can't do it. I'm afraid. I don't have the, the ability to do that. I don't have the strength to do that. We want to make excuses, but you need to understand that it's not the faith that you need. Listen to this verse. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter says this. He says, His divine power, talking about God now, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life 
through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Now notice what it's saying here, okay? He said that God has called you and you came into a knowledge or an understanding of who He is. You came to Christ and you have a knowledge now that other people don't have. And when that happened, you also became aware of the fact that God has given to you already. Now listen, because this is where you're going to balk on. Some of you don't believe this. You have already been given everything that you need for a godly life. You have already been given the power and the ability and the giftings and the spirit and everything that is needed for you and me to be obedient to what God has called us to do. We already possess it. We don't have an excuse here. This is what he's telling you. That we are without excuse. And when we look in the scriptures, we find from the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament, the quality that God admires and wants and desires in his people more than anything else is faithfulness. And it's not really faith because he said, I've already given you that. Even though it may be only the faith of a mustard seed, that's not the issue. The issue is not that you don't believe that I can do it or that you don't believe that I can help you do it or you don't believe that I can empower you to do it. The problem is you don't have enough faithfulness to take that first step to obey me. And again, guys, I'm telling you that this is true of me too. You know, there are things in my life that I have to grapple with all the time. Do I have enough faith? And I came to realize, you know what, I'm just unfaithful. And it's not an issue of whether I have enough faith because God says I do. It's an issue of my faithfulness. All the way through the Bible, this is important. Look at these couple of verses. Let me share these with you, okay? In Proverbs 28:20, just listen to the first part of this verse. It says, a faithful person will be richly blessed. That's important to God. A faithful person will be richly blessed. That's what God desires and what God wants. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Unless that's Jesus calling, turn that thing off, okay? In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, it says this, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Those who have been given a trust. Do you know what that, that, that means? That we have been given a responsibility. And for each of us, that responsibility is some of it is general, applies to everybody, some of it is specific, only for you. But we've been given that responsibility of trust. God has told us in Scripture that if you're my child, then this is how I expect you to behave and to act and to do. And, you know, those are general commands of instruction. It's a trust. God says, I'm trusting you to live a life that glorifies me. And for all of us, there are specific things that are tailored just to our situation in life. Some of you have been called by God to be in prison ministry and jail ministry and uh, counseling ministry and C2R and teaching Sunday school, working with children, working in nursery, um, just giving you compassion to reach out to somebody at work and to to love on them. Uh, It goes on and on, the way in which we're all gifted in different ways. So whether it's the general trust that we've been given here in Scripture or whether specifically through the Spirit, God is leading you to do something. God says, you've been given a trust. I trust you to obey this. And he says, now here it is. He said, those of us that have been given this trust, here's what I want you to do. I want you to prove yourself faithful. Prove yourself. That means that I want you to do this. 
And I want people to be able to look at that and say, this man has proven himself to be faithful. You know, we're going to just uh, have a little reception here for John. You know, I think of John, this is one of the things, um, you know, I think of John Billings as a faithful man. But John's been very faithful to do about anything I've asked him to do and to help in any way that he can all these years, and I appreciate that. I want to say that publicly. And I'm sure that this is the same is true for his relationship to the Lord as well. That God has led John to do things, and, God has, and John has stepped up and been faithful to do those things. And this is the quality that God is looking for in all of us, just to be faithful. So now we come to this question, and here's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. The question is this. How do I develop faithfulness? If I see that in my life I haven't been faithful, then how do I change that? How do I develop that? This is the practical application of this message. Um, We've seen what Jesus has taught, but now let's talk about, okay, how how do we make this thing part of our life? How do we become a more faithful believer? Now, I've jotted down five things. I'm going to go run through them real quickly for you. You may think of other things. If we were meeting tonight in our groups, this would be a good discussion because you would be discussing how to become more faithful as a believer and challenging each other. Let me share with you these things, that these uh, qualities, I guess, or these actions um, that I see or think of or at least come to my mind or what I would tell you if you came into me and said, okay, pastor, help me to become a more faithful believer. Then this is what I would tell you, okay? <clears throat> Number one, it starts with a commitment to do God's will no matter what. A commitment to do what God has asked of you no matter what. You're not going to let anything get in the way of that. I think every Christian, as I've said before, is led by the Spirit. We are led, we've talked about this, how the Spirit of God communicates with our spirit in a way that we cannot explain. I cannot explain that to you, how that happens. But it shows itself in our lives through emotions and feelings and ideas and thoughts. and We get excited about things maybe nobody else did because the Spirit of God is pulling at our heartstrings over that issue. We get convicted about things that nobody else may because God is convicting us that we need to participate, we need to be a part of this. And the question then is, okay, am I going to be obedient and faithful and do that? And it's that still small voice, you know, that you hear, that you understand. And somebody, so many times we don't do that. And here's my challenge, and here's what I'm getting at with this first point, okay? That you and I need to decide ahead of time that no matter what God tells me, what God asks of me, or how the Spirit leads me, that God, I will obey. That means falling on my face in failure, then I will do that because I will learn from that. But Lord, I will obey. Now let me take you back a little bit, okay? When I was living in Charlotte, you know, the age of 21, 22, somewhere in there, I did that because I felt this overwhelming urge and desire and excitement about learning about the Bible, and I wanted to go to Bible college. And I made a commitment. God, you lead me, you guide me, and I will obey. And we did. There have been different phases of my life, and this is true of you as well. 
as you go through the, the rearing of your family and, and raising your children, that's a phase of life, and you make this commitment to God that, Lord, I'm going to obey no matter what. And there are things that God does with you and through you during that phase of your life. As you grow older, you go through different phases of life, and you make a recommitment again. Lord, I commit myself again that in this part of my life, at this time in my life, God, I'm going to obey. And it may look different than it did before because what you're asking of me may be different and what I'm able to do may be different. You come to that time when you're retired and you're older, it's going to look different. And the way that God uses you and what God does with you will be different. But God never stops using you. You see, God never puts you on a shelf because you're too old. God never says to you, you're worn out, I can't use you. Because you think of all the experiences and all the wisdom that God has given you over these years. God isn't going to waste that. But it's incumbent upon us to listen, to seek, to want to know. God, what, what is it for me right now, this point in my life? And whenever you get to that point, you need to make a fresh commitment that, God, whatever you tell me to do, I commit myself to do it no matter what. I've given you this illustration before, but it's almost like you taking a check, call it a spiritual check out of your checkbook, sign it and hand it over to God and say, Lord, fill it in because it's all yours. Whatever years I have left and remain, then, Lord, I will seek to to serve you faithfully in that capacity. So the first one is that you make a commitment that no matter what God leads you to do, you're going to obey. Do it before it comes to the point of having to make the decision. See, make it ahead of time. Number two is this. Get into the habit of seeking the praise of God more than the praise of other people. You want the praise of God... The praise of other people is good if it comes, but if it doesn't, don't worry about it. You are doing things in your life, you are serving as unto the Lord. Now, everybody likes to be liked. I'm no different. Everybody wants to get along. I'm no different. We all do. We all want to be at peace with other people and no conflict and nobody talking about us and everybody working together. But sometimes you have to make a decision that you are more concerned and more interested about having the praise of God on your life than getting along with your friends or having everybody like you because that sometimes may not be the case. Some of you young people are going to have to make decisions. Are you going to seek the praise of God or the praise of your friends? That's a tough decision because you all want to be liked and be accepted. But you're going to have to make that choice. And you're going to need to decide that ahead of time. Am I going to seek the praise of God or am I going to seek the praise of those that I run with? I challenge you to put the praise of God ahead of anything else. That all I care about in this life is that one day I'll stand before God and he'll say, well done. Anything in addition to that is just gravy. You know, it's good. And, and, that's, and that's great. But you have, to, you, have to be, you have to seek and expect the Lord's praise and the Lord's approval. 
Here's the third one. A genuine desire to help others. If you're going to be faithful to the Lord, the Lord's going to lead you in ways that are going to be difficult. Send you to people that are unlovable. Put you in positions where you have to associate with people you never would associate with otherwise. And you're not going to be comfortable. You're not going to like it. And you're going to have to begin to develop. And the only way to do this is to be involved with it. You aren't going to develop a love for a drug addict until you get involved in their lives. You're not going to be in love with people in prison until you get involved with their lives. You develop this compassion over time. But it's a genuine desire to help others. You want to be faithful. Then the thing about it is that you have to be able, have to have a, a desire from down deep within your soul that I care about you. I genuinely do. And this is not just a job or a project or a ministry that you're involved in. You're not just checking off something to do for God that I have developed over the years or over the process of this particular ministry that you may be involved in. I have developed a genuine concern for you. When you do that, faithfulness won't be an issue. You see? And so a genuine desire to help other people is one of the things that's going to be uh, a necessity, uh, to put it that way, a necessity. The fourth one is this. You're going to have to develop a thick skin. A thick skin, okay? Um, Dealing with people is hard. Not everyone is going to appreciate your effort and the time you put in and what you do. They just aren't. They may not even understand it. And it's going to be easy for you to get discouraged. It really will. And I've seen it happen over and over again. Somebody gets into a teaching situation or a situation where they're leading something in the church. I'm the head of this. And this falls apart on you. People start walking out on you. People start falling by the wayside. People start saying, well, I don't want to do this. I'm going to have to do it that way. You don't know what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. And that will cause you to want to quit. And many of you have done that in the past. It wasn't fun. It wasn't pleasant. You weren't appreciated. And you quit. And so I I would tell you, one of the requirements for being faithful to God, because God is going to put you in situations that are hard, and you're going to suffer through them, in situations where people are against you and people don't like you and people are talking about you behind your back, you're going to have to have a thick skin because you remember what we just talked about? My primary job is to be pleasing to God. And if I can stand there and say, I have pleased the Lord, then it doesn't really matter what people talk about or what they say. But you're going to have to have that thick skin. You really will. Here's the fifth and the final one, and that is this. And I'm going to need to explain this one, okay? You're going to have to be content to learn as you go. All right? You're going to have to be content with that. A lot of people aren't. See, this is uncharted territory. There's a lot of uncertainty. I'm not going to step out there with my little mustard seed faith and try that because I might fail. And I don't know what to do. But God says, you're going to learn as you go. And you've got to understand this because, you see, here's the problem. 
everybody wants to have all the answers first. I want to know what's going to happen before I am faithful to do what you've told me to do. I want to know how this is going to happen, how it's going to be played out, um, what's the plan. I want to know about all the what ifs. What if this? What if that? What if? And you know what? I'm going to let you in on a secret here. You will not ever know these things ahead of time. Okay? Because you see, here's where God says, now, here's how I'm going to strengthen your faith. You know? You're telling me you can't because you don't have a strong enough faith or enough faith or how you want to phrase it. I'm telling you you can because all you need is the faith of a mustard seed, just enough to take that first step. And I'm going to build your faith as you go. I'm going to strengthen it as you go. Because you're going to do something, you're going to look back at this, and you're going to say, good grief, how did I ever do that? And your faith is just going to skyrocket. But if you never take that first step, you will not ever understand this. And so you're going to have to be content to learn this as you go. You're going to have to understand the process. Let me show you something. I want to take you through a little passage of Scripture here, and then we'll close it up, okay? But here's the Scripture. In 2 Timothy, it's in chapter 1, and Paul is going to be talking to Timothy. So here's what he says in verse 6. He's talking to Timothy. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, I don't have a clue what that gift is. I mean, it could be that God, the, Paul laid hands on him and God blessed him with a particular spiritual gift. It could be a reference to the Spirit of God coming on him at Pentecost or sometime later. I don't know. But the point is, what I want you to see is this. Whatever it is that you have, Timothy, you're going to have to fan it into a flame. Now think about this. See, I want the thing flaming before I ever take the first step. I want it flaming. I want to know that Man, that God's behind this. I want to have the courage. I want to have the passion. I want to be flaming when I go out there so that I don't just fall flat on my face. And God says, well, no, it doesn't work that way. Verse 7, he says, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Timothy, the Spirit of God that lives in you, you're timid and afraid. That's not from the Spirit of God. God didn't give you the Spirit so that you could be timid and afraid. He gave you the Holy Spirit so that you would understand that you have power that you didn't have before. That you have the love of God and you have the capacity to love people that are unlovable. And you also have the spirit of self-discipline. You can do this. Timothy, you can do this. Just take the step and start fanning into flame what God has already instilled within you. Verse 8. He says to Timothy, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Timothy, don't you become unfaithful. 
Don't you step back in shame because you don't think you can do it. You're timid. Or somebody might say something or may not like what you're doing or might not understand. Don't you step back. You step forward and you fan into flame what God has already instilled within you. And you be willing, Timothy, to join with me and suffer through the hard times because it's going to come. When you are faithful, it'll be difficult. Trust me. But do it anyway. Then he comes to this, verse 12, he says this. This is why I am suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame. Because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Oh, now, you've got to look at this and how it fits in, okay? Timothy, you're timid. You're, you're, you're thinking about stepping back away from this ministry that God's put you in because you're, a, you're afraid. And you need to fan into flame what God has put inside of you and carry on and be faithful in the ministry because, listen to me, it's going to be hard, but let me tell you what I have learned over the years. I know who I have believed. And I'm convinced that He can guard what I entrust to Him, that He can lead me, He can protect me, He can guide me every step of the way. The question is this, Paul, how did you learn that? By doing it. Paul says, I stepped out in faith years ago. Maybe my faith, you know, we don't understand this or think about this, but Paul... Paul had to learn just like we did. And all I had, Timothy, was the mustard seed. But God said, go do it, Paul. So I step out. And I trust him. And all of a sudden, this little ember down in my soul begins to flare up into a flame. And the power comes. The opportunities are there. The words to speak come. And I look back at my life and he says, I look and I say, how did this happen? How did God do this? And God says, Paul, because you took the first step. You were faithful. And if you hadn't been faithful, you'd still be sitting there. Waiting on me to do something. Waiting to be filled up with faith. Waiting on a flame to begin. And God says, that's not the way it works. So, yeah, when we come to this question, is it faith that God's looking for or is it faithfulness? It's faithfulness. God says the amount of faith you have at any given time or the strength of your faith, ever how you want to view it, I, I personally think that's just the strength of your faith. I don't think there's quantities of faith. But the strength of it changes. There'll be times when you get beat down and you fail and your faith in God is wavering. God, I thought this was going to be successful. I thought this would be good. I thought this would... And God says, I've got a plan. Don't worry about it. And my faith is shaking, you say. God says, be faithful anyway. Be faithful. And so we take what we have, we give it back to God, and we're faithful to God, and God blesses beyond measure. And just like Paul, with each given year that goes by, we say, I know 
I know what he can do. And I'm convinced. I'm convinced. So then the question for us becomes this. In what area of my life am I being unfaithful? Now, unfaithful in the sense that I'm not doing what God has called me to do. Let's take your marriage. Maybe you're not the best husband in the world, you know, or the best wife. Or maybe what God has for you to be, you're not being. You know, you're not a godly leader in your home. You're not a submissive, loving, godly woman. And maybe for you, faithfulness means that that needs to change. Maybe with your children. You're not a faithful dad or faithful mother. You failed. You have not protected. You have not guarded. You have not brought them up the way that they should. You're sloughing off. And maybe for you that needs to change, and that's what God is telling you. Maybe you're not a faithful witness. There are people that you can encounter every day and you, you, you think to yourself, or at least the, the idea comes in, I wonder if that person's a believer. I wonder what's going on with that person and why they're crying, why they're sad, why they're depressed. And you never, ever took the first step to find out why. And God has laid them on your heart, left and right. And you've been unfaithful. Maybe in your giving, you're very unfaithful. Whatever you have, you see, the mustard seed, the might in Scripture. God says, it's not your money that I want, it's your heart. I want your heart. And I'm going to get it by asking you to give something that's very precious to you back to me. And we do that by giving to the church, by giving to missions, by helping people in need that you encounter throughout the course of your life. However God leads you to give. But yeah, we've sometimes been unfaithful with that, haven't we? The list goes on and on. But you see, here's where you have to make the decision. I've got to change this, you see. You say to yourself, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And I've got to change. So then the question becomes for you, what's that first step? To take your little bit of mustard seed faith and take a first step and trust Him with what you've got. And begin to fan into flame what he has emplaced within you already. He has given you everything that you need to live a godly life. You need to realize what that's saying. Everything you need, you already have. You just need to step out and be obedient. There's one thing, especially at this point in life, and I, I hope that for you young people it's the same. The only one thing that I want And that is to one day stand before God and hear Him say, Well done. By good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we bow here before You. And Father, we repent. We express, Lord, to You our understanding and our knowledge of where we have been unfaithful. And for each one of us, the unfaithfulness will come in different areas of our lives. And Father, we all want and need to acknowledge that. We need to be faithful and we need to change. But Father, here again, we're coming to you and we're asking that you would help us to realize this. Help us, Father, to see that it's not a faith issue. It's just an obedience issue. 
You've already given us all we need. You have been faithful to us. Now, Father, help us to be faithful to you. And however you lead me, however you convict me, I, I want to change. And Father, some of us may not see that clearly. We may not see the path out of the woods, so to speak. Help us to do that. Help us to see the problem, admit the problem, and correct it. And with our little bit of faith, may we step out boldly and do what you've led us to do. And watch for the miracles. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Father, for just giving us the privilege of serving you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.